This is the Ravelin Fraud Academy podcast, which is dedicated to bringing you insights about the world of online fraud. On this week's program, Ravelin CMO Jerry Carr sits down with John Flatley from the Office of National Statistics in the UK to talk through their recent report about the size of the nation's fraud problem. Okay, and welcome to uh, the first Ravelin podcast where we look at issues around um, the topic of fraud. Uh, and across this podcast series, we're going to be talking to a variety of experts coming at the topic from a variety of angles. Uh, and I'm delighted in this first episode that we talk to John Flatley. John, I'll let you introduce yourself. Hello, I'm John Flatley. I'm Head of Crime Statistics and Analysis at the Office for National Statistics. Okay, brilliant. And very recently, um, I should say that's in the UK, and very recently you guys brought out a report looking at the, uh, I guess, the, the size of the fraud problem um, across the UK. Um, and it was extremely revealing, I think, in, in lots of ways. I think it's the first time we've really seen uh, a proper light shone on the actual scale of the problem here. I'm wondering if you could just give us some sort of top-level highlights from the, uh, from the report. Yeah. I'm not sure highlights is the right word, but, you know, yeah. the standout statistics okay. that you guys saw. Well, hitherto, we've we've relied largely on figures that have been reported to the police through the National Fraud Reporting Centre, Action Fraud. And that, we've always known, has only given us part of the picture because very few frauds actually get reported to the police. So what we did here is we surveyed a, a, a sample of the general population, mm-hmm. quite a large survey, um, asking people in their own homes about their experiences of being a victim of fraud. And what was quite revealing about this was the scale of fraud was uh, massive. Um, compared with our traditional crimes, um, you were something like 20 times more likely to be a victim of fraud than robbery. Wow. Um, and um, roughly one in 10 of the population had experienced a fraud or a computer misuse offence in the previous 12 months. Yeah. It's probably worth analysing a little bit about the types of fraud that you guys were looking at. Uh, from from our perspective, obviously, the one we see most is is the uh, card fraud. Um, I just wonder if you'd break down the sort of types of fraud there are and, and sort of a little bit of colour around which yeah. well, what's happening in each in each uh, case. What we did find was that banking and uh, credit account fraud was the, the, by far and away the dominant uh, volume. Right. Um, it made up something like two thirds of the total fraud that people had experienced. And this was typically things like their cards being cloned or their card details being uh, hacked um, and used fraudulently. Um, And and this was, by far and away, the the biggest problem. Um, But there were other types of fraud as well experienced, such as um, investment frauds. Uh, What is investment fraud? I I did read it, and I'm not sure I understood what These are one sort of things where um, you're contacted either by telephone or possibly by email, Offering you uh, fantastic returns on uh, on investment, which is really too good to be true, but right. unfortunately, people then send some money like off. Is this like the Nigerian scam? Yeah, that, that sort of thing, thing is quite yeah. quite common. Yeah, uh, and then we have things like romance fraud, uh, where where people have uh, developed a relationship with someone online who they think is a genuine. Uh, a partner in the in the offering, yeah. and then after some time of um, grooming this person, the fraudster will ask them to send them some money so they can book an air ticket to come across to see them. Yeah. And of course, this person then disappears, and, and the money is is then lost. So um, quite wide ranging the ways that fraud can be committed. Do people is are they all report are they all types of crime that people don't tend to report out of uh, embarrassment? Yeah, I think there's a real embarrassment factor there, yeah. um, and you know, people feel uh, foolish for falling 
uh, for this this, yeah. uh, this trick. Uh, embarrassed, perhaps even telling their family and friends about it. So um, these figures will shine a light on on these sort of things. I think uh, in a much more useful way than we've uh, up to now been able to do. Just to go back to the to the card fraud, it's probably worth spelling out for people listening uh, how exactly that fraud takes place. Do you have that in? You know, because I think I know, but it'd be yeah, useful. there's a variety of uh, methods. Um, <coughs> often, um, cards are uh, uh, skimmed or cloned, um, mm-hmm. so the details are then copied by a criminal and sold on the dark net to to others. And then those cards, the details, are then used fraudulently to buy goods and services, and the first time the, the uh, account holder uh, finds out about it is either they see some payments on their bank statement which they don't recognise or typically their card provider will ring them up and say I've noticed a series of unusual transactions yeah. particularly if it's happening abroad um, <coughs> and you know quite a few hundred pounds can be racked up on that card before a stop is put on it um, typically we found that those victims are reimbursed by their financial services provider about 8 out of 10 people told us they were reimbursed in full uh, but of course, those costs are not um, hidden, not invisible. They they um, uh, absorbed by the cardholders and passed on indirectly to all of us in, in some form or other. So, John, to date, um, this credit card fraud, this bank account fraud, it's called various different things, um, has been viewed societally as a sort of victimless crime. But the burden of the cost must fall somewhere. Um, is it the banking institutions paying for it? Is it the individuals who are not being reimbursed, or is the is the burden falling somewhere else? I think it's a mix, and it it, it varies. Applies uh, crime to crime. Um, you know, some of it, um, the banks are making um, sort of commercial decisions about a threshold at which they'll write certain <coughs> losses off. Um, we certainly know from our figures that what the banks refer to the police for investigation is the tip of the iceberg. They estimate something like uh, two million fraudulent transactions on UK issued cards each year, but less than uh, one in a, one in um, ten of those get reported to the police for investigation. Right, largely because there isn't good evidence. Uh, for investigation or the fraudster is in a country where we have no jurisdiction or rights of, um, I can't think of the word now, deportation, <laughs> extradition is what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Uh, so there's little police can do about it unless they've got agreements with forced with the police and the police services in those country. Uh, companies um, operating online may absorb the cost themselves. But of course, these these costs have to be passed on in different ways. I mean, the insurance industry is a good area where there was a big problem with insurance fraud in recent mm-hmm. years, and it was well known that that led to an increase in insurance premiums for all of us. So sure. you know, if we can reduce this level of fraud, it will reduce costs across society. So we're definitely, although it's not that visible, we're probably definitely seeing the cost of fraud reflected in the prices we're paying online, the prices we're paying. Although it seems like a hyper competitive market, there's still yeah. some built-in cost there because... Uh, I think ultimately, at least a very large percentage of this fraud cost has been borne by by the merchants. You think that's that's accurate? Well, certainly, it, one could conclude that from the the low reporting rate to, yeah. to the police. These companies must be making some commercial decisions about the uh, value in and the time and effort in reporting the crime. The chance of uh, the police being able to um, identify the the criminal and bring them to justice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do, do you think there's a is it a problem with policing? Is it a problem with the law right now that it is so difficult for uh, for the police to get a prosecution in this case, or even for a merchant to pursue a prosecution? It seems that it's almost a uh, consequence free crime at the moment. Um, and do we need to change the either the legislation or the way we police it uh, in order to to change that? 
I think a lot can be done through education and growing awareness amongst the public. Um, you know, if you think back to, to uh, previous crime problems, uh, we had big uh, marketing campaigns to raise awareness about things you can do to reduce your risk of being a victim of crime. Yeah. And um, for many people, the internet is still a new thing. Um, there's a lot we can do to raise awareness, simple things all of us can do to reduce our risk of falling victim to fraud, like ensuring our computers have virus, uh, antivirus software uploaded, installed and regularly updated, yeah. you know, not clicking on links in unsolicited emails or text messages, mm-hmm. um, and generally you know, being sceptical of deals that seem too good to be true. Um but in terms of credit card fraud, that's really there's not a lot you can do. There are already 13 billion cards out there on the dark net. The chances are your card is probably already available somewhere in some format, just hasn't come to uh, fruition yet. So really, it's a case of is the burden then on the merchants to do as much as they can to stop themselves being subject to to defrauding? Because ultimately, they're probably what's going to pay. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the, the fraudsters are constantly evolving their methods. Um, every week, it seems a new scam. Uh, peers. Yeah. I mean, I, f- I follow the Action Fraud website, and it's quite interesting to see how uh, scams uh, develop and how topical they are. So, you know, around the Olympics, we're getting uh, ticket fraud, right. um, yeah. tapping into people's interest in these sort of events. Um, so, you know, the, the industry and police need to be uh, up to speed and, and as quick in involving their methods of detection and prevention as the criminals are at creating new ways of committing these crimes. What would you make of the um, argument that the shifting... Of, if we look at crime levels, crime reporting levels over the last 20 years, and again, in the UK, because the statistics seem to be better here for some reason than elsewhere, probably thanks to your good work, John. <laughs> but we've seen the actual sort of headline crime figures come down, the amount of murders, the amount of robberies, the amount of um, violent crime uh, have all gone down. Um, the police budgets have gone down at the same time, so people think this is great. You know, It's clear that the... The crime has shifted online. The, the, the smart criminal is not going to bust someone over the head or break into someone's house to steal the television. They're going to steal it online somehow. Um, but what do you make of the argument that that's actually a net social good? That that's uh, for people living in the country that it's actually, you know, it's, it's a better place to live because I'm not going to get the victim of a violent crime or, or something that's going to traumatize me. But rather, this crime happens somewhat silently online. Yeah, I can see see um, some uh, some people might argue that but I mean crime any sort of crime is not a good thing yeah uh, and there are often other repercussions um, you know your, your credit card gets defrauded you get your money back from the bank but you might not have to go through a whole load of inconvenience in terms of changing account details making sure your credit reference records are not being um, falsely um, downgraded there are all sorts of repercussions that can go on beyond just the immediate um, you know, problem of having uh, to get in touch with the bank to get your money reimbursed and, and of course as we mentioned earlier these costs are all you know, borne one way or other by all of us yeah and do you think that this crime is becoming I mean again if I'm, if I'm trading online I'm running a business and should I Consider that this problem is only going to get bigger. Does it seem to be growing? I know we've only got one year of statistics, so it's hard to be definitive in the conclusions around that. But um, does it look like a problem that's going to get worse before it gets better? Is it something I need to be particularly vigilant of now and more vigilant of as, as time goes I th- on? I think we're getting better information now about the scale of the threat. Um, one thing which we do need to bear in mind is that the 
the volume of transactions online is is growing yeah. year on year. Of course. Um, and so inevitably, uh, we're going to see more uh, cybercrime. But really what we're looking at is what proportion it makes of the total. Yeah. And I think um, there is some evidence to suggest that as while the, the number is getting larger, it's not necessarily becoming a higher proportion as we're getting more clever at the way we can yeah. uh, solve these problems and prevent them. Um, so that's not to say that we should be complacent, but it's to try and put the figures in context. So, John, one of the things we see as a, a vendor of um, fraud protection tools is that the, the way online commerce is being conducted is changing. So it's increasingly it's, it's, um, it's apps, it's something that happens on a mobile phone. The amount of details that people are asked for is becoming uh, as few as possible because they just want to have this really smooth sign-up journey and this really easy ordering journey to you know buy the good or service. Mm-hmm. And they want as few blocks as possible. They don't want 3D secure in there. They don't want to add additional security questions. They don't want you to remember a password. They don't you know all those things that would be, I guess, security measures are designed out of the uh, customer flow. Um, I I wonder if there's anything in there that sort of shows that this is uh, increasing the likelihood of of fraud, or, or at least that we need to manage fraud in a different way than trying to stop it at the front door, or you're trying to stop it somewhere uh, further down the, the customer journey? I mean, that's a really interesting question, but I think it's a bit too early to say, because this is the, our first set of, of figures, Yeah, and I think most of it is reflected in the more traditional ways of committing fraud uh, via the internet and uh, through responding to emails and text messages and even telephone calls. Yeah. Um, but that's something we should certainly be looking out for going forward uh, to see whether that is a, an emerging problem. One thing, I mean, some of the, I guess we didn't really touch on some of the headline stats in that thing, which were pretty startling. Um, one of which was, it, now true to say that card fraud is the most common crime in the UK. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, when, when we first started um, with the crime survey back in the early 1980s, um, there was real problems with burglary and with uh, vehicle theft. Yeah. Uh, they were at uh, historically high levels in the mid-1990s. And that was the real focus of the police service in terms of uh, working out how to uh, target hardened vehicles, make it more difficult to break into homes. Yeah. Uh, police service worked very effectively with industry partners, local authorities, other, other agencies to really make it much harder to steal uh, from vehicles and from homes. And you know that's been very effective over the last uh, couple of decades. And I think a similar drive is now needed with cybercrime and fraud. Um, to drive it down in the, in the same way as we have done with more traditional types of crime. Um, and do you ever um, uh, check notes, cross notes with your international colleagues in other in, in other countries? Do you seeing similar trends in the cybercrime? Is it? It's not. I know it's not a uniquely British problem, but is it more of a problem here than elsewhere, or is it? Um, is this is this a global issue? I think one of the one of the. Um, Unfortunate things is that there are very few countries that have gone as far as we have in trying to develop statistics to give us a good picture on this. I mean, there are some exceptions. The United States have done some good work as well, and they've, like us, identified this as a, a much bigger problem than traditional crime types. And other countries have been in contact with us to, to learn from our experience and hoping to repeat it in their, in their country. So hopefully we'll get a much better global picture in the coming years. So that's great, John. I think that's really interesting. Um, I think we know the fraud's going to be an ongoing problem. The more light we can shine on it, I think it's going to be very important over the coming years. Um, and, you know, I think it is going to be, as you say, it's going to be a cross-discipline effort to stop it from what we do to what the police do to how Americans report it and 
those mechanisms need to uh, need to come into play so we can actually try and tackle this problem properly. Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you. If you enjoyed this week's episode and would like to listen to future ones, please visit our SoundCloud page at www.soundcloud.com forward slash Ravelin and hit follow.